right, 44 on you, dedicated to President Obama, episode number 44. Episode number 44, this is for Obama. Dream big, this boy gonna make it, stand tall, is higher on you take it, let go of everything that you know, and be wild in the mystery. Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts, Rick and Patrick, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 44 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Patrick. And I am Rick. And we've been on for a couple of weeks. Yeah, we're back. I mean, our well, listeners won't know any different. <laughs> we haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we had to get ahead because I went on vacation, uh, so we couldn't record while I was on vacation, so we had to get a little ahead. And I mean, we we're... could have. It just would have been a major inconvenience for you. Very much. Very much. So and I'll be honest. I was uh, I was very content where I was. We were hanging out in the sand and the sun and the pool, and it was fantastic. Really? So. Was it a good relaxing time for you and your family? Oh my gosh, so good, so good. We had some friends. We all got together and just hung out, and it was great. Uh, kids played, and and we cooked. So so uh, the funny thing is now uh, we with multiple families we had a um, we had a big group, and that meant we couldn't really do restaurants a whole lot because mm-hmm. COVID means you can only have eight people. Uh, at a table. Well, we had more than eight people, so uh, yeah, that would. That's happen. where you Thanksgiving that bad boy, and like all the parents are on one end of the restaurant, and all the kids are on the other end of the restaurant. <laughs> that would have been great until it came time to pay. <laughs> you had no idea what your kids have gotten, basically. So, but you get the bill, and your kids have ordered like everything on the menu. <laughs> you don't even like sardines. <laughs> so. Anyway, so good. I'm glad y'all had a good yes. time. Had a good glad, time. What's been... Glad we're glad you're back. You know, for, we've just been working, man. We're really starting to get this past week. I've really started to feel it. Um, getting busy at work, and mm-hmm. uh, it's about to be the the busy time of year for our business. So we're uh, we're ramping up, and uh, things are good, man. We're yeah. we're all doing good on, over here. So. Um, Glad to see you, though. Glad to, yeah, glad to be back to, doing this thing. So Yes. It actually feels good to be recording again. I'm not going to lie. I, I missed it. I did miss it last week. It's part of my, my weekly ritual where I'm like, man, I kind of I long for Thursday nights because that's when we record. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, may, it it's a good ending to the week, too. So, yeah. So. Well, so tonight. What do I have tonight? So tonight from the... I hope I'm going to butcher this. From the <laughs> Catawba Brewing Company, we have the White Zombie White Ale. Uh, Catawba is located in 
Looking at the can? It doesn't say on the can I was looking to try to... <laughs> Morganton, North Carolina. There you go. So we're we're back in North Kakaleke. North Kakaleke. <laughs> uh, I, feel, I feel like I've heard of Catawba, and I think it's pronounced Catawba, but I'm, I'm, I may be wrong about that. I'm not sure. So... Uh, it's definitely know. a B in the word. Yeah, so, so <laughs> we're going to go with Catawba. If if you're listening, Catawba, and want to correct us, feel free to reach out. We'd love to talk to you. And, and, yeah, we would. And, and hook up like that. So um, so we got the White Zombie White Ale. Um, it's a 5.1 ABV. And did you say how many IB? Did you see how many IBUs were on this somewhere? This one, I mean, this is basically negative IBUs. It's like seven. Okay. So this is going to be a, like, I'm expecting it to be a sweet beer. Yes. Um, the Could can, be. So, so the can, you know, it's, it says white zombie is, is what we're drinking here. The can is purple, and there is a zombie on it. Um, the website says that it started out as a seasonal beer, like a seasonal Halloween brew. Mm-hmm. But then they decided to make it year-round, so... Uh, says that white zombie is made according to the Belgian... Wit beer tradition of being unmalted wheat, of using unmalted wheat to create the light body and the white sheen. Well, there you go. And it's going to have, there's going to be, cor- there's coriander and orange peel. So it'll be. So I wonder if this is going to be similar to like a Blue Moon. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of Blue Moon. Like, I'll drink it. Mm-hmm. My wife really likes Blue Moon. Yeah. Um, I like Blue Moon. Me. I mean, it's not my, it's not my favorite. Of all of the beers, but I do like it. And so we've been, we've got, I mean, this is the 44th episode of our podcast. I have got so much beer in my fridge. <laughs> Me too. I, I, I need to go back and look and see what all I've got. I've still got some, um, I still have Dirty Beaches and Strawberry Litter 23. I think yep. I still have a Rebellion or two and some I drink there for okay. Amber. My rebellions went away real fast. I still have like, prank calls to Satan in my fridge. Yeah, those are gone too. And it's not that I you don't like to... them. It's just I get those, and then I've also got um, there's a hard cider from Atlanta that I've got that I re- I really like that one. Yeah, and then maybe um, we should do a cider one week. That would be kind of fun. We could. I, I mean, I really do like hard ciders, and then but it's not really beer, so that's mm-hmm. where it's kind of like it's true. Or is it a type of beer? Anyway, and then I've also got uh, Classic City has kind of become my new mm. go-to. I do love a Classic City. So, anyway, um, I'm expecting this uh, white zombie to be kind of fruity. I can go with that. Especially since it says uh, fresh zesty and citrus on the can. So Yeah. Well, then let's crack it open and see what it, what it tastes like. Let's do it. Here we go. One, two, three, crack. There are a few sounds better on the planet (laughs) than a can of beer being cracked open. That is a true statement. You know, it's funny. We were talking about all all the different beers we've had and having a bunch of beer in your house. I used to, I mean... Before we started doing this, I would just go pick up, you know, a 12-pack of Yingling once a week or something like that. And now I've, I find myself where I don't because I'm like, well, I don't need to go buy beer because I still have plenty left over. Mm-hmm. I've always got, I you lo- know, 
I think low-key, I've got some, like, Oktoberfest beer still in my fridge. Because, <laughs> so you can't buy beer, you, you can't buy most beers in, in just one of them at a time. Yeah. So you buy a six-pack. Well, my wife occasionally drinks beer, but she's more of a cocktail. Mm-hmm. She likes the mixed drinks a little bit better. Um, so there's a, I mean, I, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to drink six beers <laughs> or more just to keep up with one cocktail yeah, and and my you know i enjoy beer but i don't drink it every night either yeah it's not an everyday thing that i'm doing so yeah anyway back enough of the anecdotes let's get back to what we're talking about so this beer actually smells a little different than what i thought it was going to smell like and the color of it, uh, yeah. I guess. I guess this is what white ale. I've never actually had a, a, I guess, a traditional white ale or whatever. Yeah, this thing is super, super light, but it's also a little bit hazy. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's got a very light color, but it's murky. It's almost like this is going to sound gross, and this I not hope. I hope this doesn't affect how we rate this. It looks like pond water. Yes, you are. You are. Uh, I was going to say something else that was grosser than pond water, but you know. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I know what you're where you're going with it, but I'm going to refrain from elaborating for our listeners. For our listeners' uh, sake. So but it look. I mean, it looks good, and and it smells. It, I can't it really smell, pinpoint the smell. It smells sweet. Like it smells yeah. a little bit like a melted sweet tart. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I could go with that. I kind of hope it tastes like a melted sweet tart because I, <laughs> I, like mel- I like sweet tarts. <laughs> well, there's only one way to find out what it's going to taste like. Do we want to do a pre-rate? Oh, we got a pre-rate. You're right. So based on the smell and the look, uh, this is this is probably going to surprise you, but I am, I'm reserved on this one. So I'm going to come in at three and a half. I was, when we first, like when you started talking, I was like, he's probably going to say three and a half. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say three and a half to pre-rate as well and see what happens. Part of me wants I, to just go I'm ahead surprised. part of me wants to just go ahead and give it a four and a half on the, on the front end. So <laughs> pretty sh- I'm, I'm very certain that's where I'm going to land. I yeah. hope I don't get let down. Wouldn't be the first time. Wouldn't be the first time, but actually it might be the first time I've, we like beer. Let's just be honest. <laughs> so, story. You're not wrong, but, uh, Let's uh let's turn it up. White let's zombie from the Catawba Brewing Company. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Okay, I'm a little surprised. Hmm. You know what this reminds me of? What does it remind you of? And I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the classic city lager. Does it really? Yeah. It's got a little bit of that. It's, it's a little more, I don't know if it's the, it's the, the way the malts are is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but the flavor of it kind of resembles the classic city lager to me. Okay. I could see that. That was not my initial. What was your initial? So. And I imagine the more I drink it, the more the more I'll like it. But my initial thought, and I might be completely off on this, was Kalik. Oh gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't pick up on Kalik, no, because 
Kalik to me was just, it wasn't good. Like, it tasted like skunk beer to me. This doesn't taste like skunk beer. It doesn't beer. taste bad. That, that was just like my initial, like, for some reason, that is what came back to mind. Now, I will say, based off the smell, I could understand why you would would have said Kalik. Because it did, it did have that smell of Kalik, and that's why I was like, ooh, I'm going to be a little reserved on this one, because I feel like it's going to be better. But... What are you thinking? I'm just thinking. I, I was waiting for you to finish your thought. <laughs> I, I, I stopped. My, my thought stopped, so I stopped talking. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty good. Um, it's a... It's... Eh. I, I pre-rated it at three and a half. I'll go ahead and rate it since I'm talking now. Um, I think I'm going to give it four Luthers. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. There's nothing that puts it like way over the top it's a pretty standard mm-hmm. tasting beer to me it's really good i you know we kind of you know gave that initial it tastes like calic thing um yeah but the more i'm drinking it the more i think i like it it just doesn't have anything that puts it that's going to push it higher than four for me yeah so i'm going to give it on a scale of one to five luthers four luthers four luthers well I am. I'm in the same boat. Uh, it's actually a little bit better than I had expected it to be. Um, the smell, I think, was what was kind of making me push it down, thinking it was going to be a little bit mediocre. Mm-hmm. This is actually a pretty decent beer, as far as, as as far as the overall what I expect out of beers. I mean, it's got a good flavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The flavor is not. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't resemble the smell. Like I, I actually thought, and the reason I said three and a half was I was like, this might be a little skunky. Yeah, because of the smell. You know, you know what I like about it. I know you. So it's it's really really light. Mm. Like the that yeah. the whole like seven IBU thing. I will probably drink two of these while we record. Like that's how light it feels. That's possible. Yeah, and it's not high on the ABV. Is it's it five point one five percent? Yeah. So it's I mean it's your standard your standard ale or lager style as far as ABV is concerned. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it to me. It's a four. Um, it's a four Luther for me. It's a little bit higher, and that's why I said it was surprising because it was a little. I honestly like I gave it three and a half, thinking I was going to go down to three. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a little better than I I kind of expected, and so I'm going to come in at four because I gave the Classic City four. It's not quite as good as the Classic City, but it's not um, much but worse. It, yeah, it's not much worse. It reminds me of it. Um, the the texture of it is good. The the lightness of it, like you said, the lightness of it, you could, I mean, you could drink this one fast and not realize it because it just kind of goes down real easy. Yeah. I mean, I'm already um, halfway done with mine, so. <laughs> one more sip and mine will be halfway gone. Um, it's got an interesting, like, like the feeling it leaves behind in your mouth. Like, it's got a really interesting texture. The carbonation is really good in this one. Mm-hmm. And that may be what it is because it, it kind of it's got a little bit of that bubbly um, beer feel. Some people say you should pour that out of a beer, um, but if you pour too much of it out, then you end up with flat beer, and nobody likes flat beer. Right. That's not a good so, time for anyone. No, it's not. No, it's not. But this is this is a really good uh, as far as just flavor. It, 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 I mean, it, uh, the can to me nails it. It's fresh, it's zesty, and it's citrusy. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite as citrusy as I was kind of anticipating. You know, so it said it was citrusy, but it's not like a punch-in-your-mouth citrus. No. It's not like you took a bite out of an unpeeled orange or something. It's, which it's is, not like the strawberry 23 from a couple of weeks ago. Or yeah. Was it, that last week? Whenever that was, yeah. Whenever we recorded last. Yeah. So it's not like overly powerful with the... It's just a just this tiny little hint of fruit. Yes. But it's not so fruity that it's like, bam. Yeah, yeah. It's good, though. It's. I mean, to to me, it's a good balance. I mean, if if I had to, if I had to give it, you know, something it could do better, I would say maybe add a little bit more citrus flavor in there. Um, to give it, I think that might give it a little bit, a little bit more distinguishing. It. This to me, it, it's very similar to just a normal beer, like mm-hmm. a beer beer. And so, yeah. Um, but I mean, nonetheless, uh, Catawba, good job. I mean, four Luthers is pretty good from both of us. Uh, nobody's a bunch of knuckleheads who don't know anything about beer, so we gave it four Luthers because uh, that's our standard of excellence. Yep. And that's where we come down. So now, unless you have something else to add, we're done. We're going to move on into Packer, and we're going to start part four tonight, and we are going to finish part four in four weeks. So what we need from you is suggestions on what we can do next. <laughs> yeah. We keep saying, like, we're going to start talking about what we're going to do. We don't do that. We're, we, never, we never we, do that. We don't have... A, it, so, in case you're wondering, there's not, like, a team of people that puts this thing together. It is literally two bozos. who it's basically who are, a Rick and Patrick show. I mean, we're, we're close friends, and we're also our own research team, and we're our own... We go, we go purchase our beer... Unless, yes. unless sometimes my wife has gotten it, gotten beer for me because she was closer to the package store at that time. Not anymore, so I have to go get it myself. God, dang it! What is this place anyway? <laughs> so like we do uh, our own research. Rick mixes down the episodes every week. He makes sure they get posted. We interact on social media, so it is all us all the time. So when we say. We, we need your help. We need your help. <laughs> we're not kidding. What we're, what we're saying is, we need your help. Yeah. So, if you have... Yeah, and we'll talk about this at the end of the episode, but if you have any suggestions for what you would like for us to discuss after we get through with Concise Theology, let us know, and we'll tell you how to reach out to us at that point. But That's right. But for now, now let's get into it. Welcome back. Uh, we are back. We're going to talk Packer. We're going to talk Perseverance. We're going to talk Unpardonable Sins. All of the good things. Part four, let's do this. Yeah, so part four is is a, is the shortest section in Concise Theology. Uh, so that means we're almost done with this thing. Um, four weeks. I, I know that we've been like pitching that we'll be done soon with this for a while, almost in a like, we can't wait to be done with it. (laughs) And while part of that is true, we have, I, I mean, I can't speak for Rick, but I have really enjoyed 
concise theology, the study that we've been uh, going through and talking out each week, and uh, hope that you've enjoyed it too as, as a listener. We hope that it's challenged you to uh, read more into doctrine and theology in general, and to really know where you stand in terms of things like predestination, um, what it, what it means to be a part of the local church, and all that good stuff. So, yes. Anyway, so part four is the a section titled "God Revealed as Lord of Destiny." It's very Star Warsy. We need. We, I almost feel like we need one of those scrolls, those title scrolls. <laughs> if we were a video podcast. We might do that, but we're not. Sorry. <laughs> we probably will never be. Maybe. Well, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, so you perseverance. Know. God keeps his people safe. What does that mean there, Rick? So the idea that God keeps his people safe, uh, this is commonly known as, and, and if, you're, if you've been in a church for longer than a year, you've probably heard the phrase, once saved, always saved. If you've been in a good SBC church, for sure, yes. Heard well, th- there's a lot of, so you're, that, a lot of your churches do believe this. Methodists would be one that don't. I, um, I was just thinking, like, that's a big point of, like, that's reiterated a lot in an SBC church. Yes, you talk it about definitely is. Once saved, always saved. Yes. Baptists hold very strong to the doctrine of perseverance, also it's, known it's, as the perseverance of the saints. It's like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and perseverance. Yes. Like, like it's the fourth <laughs> member of the, would make it whatever. So The quadrinity, is that right? You had four members? Quad, uh, anyway. It's a square. So, it's a square. <laughs> Square entity. Uh, so anyway, um, we're going to talk about perseverance, and and you have to understand. So people think perseverance means that a Christian is never going to have trouble. That you're just your life is going to be so great that you do everything right, and that is not at all what perseverance means. In the words of Rick, that is ludicrous. That is very ludicrous. And do I, do I say ludicrous? I do say ludicrous. You say ludicrous all the time. Also, well, ludicrous it, is a rapper. So yes, shout out to ludicrous. I think he's from. I don't know. Yes, so he's anyway, from Atlanta. <laughs> is he from Atlanta? I was like, we've done a lot of Atlanta beers, and I was like, I think he's from Atlanta. So when we talk about perseverance, we really are kind of one of the central themes or central passages essential to perseverance is Romans chapters 8 and Romans chapters 9. Chapter 9, chapter 8 and chapter 9. So um, the verse that Packer brings out is Romans 8.30, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So the central theme of the idea of perseverance is that you don't persevere, God perseveres for you. Yeah, uh, and and it's Jesus's work through the Holy Spirit that allows you to persevere. Yeah, that the verse in Romans eight that you just read is all about what God has, what God does, and what God. Yeah, those God chose, those God called, those He justified. Um, it's got literally nothing to do with the believer. Yeah, apart from and, you're the one predestined, you're the one called, but you aren't active in any of that. Yes. And and so 
this is where a lot of, of people have a rub, I guess you could say, with Calvinism. Um, and I, and I, I understand, and I, I understand why they have disagreements, and I'm okay with their disagreements. Uh, you know, it's it's not the, what I hold, because I believe if you pair Romans 8, 29, and 30 together, and then the rest of chapter 8 on into chapter 9, you get a pretty clear definition of what it means for God to be the person who's the author and perfecter of your faith, like Hebrews teaches, mm-hmm. um, and it is God who does this this work for you. Um, but there's those who would hold to a, a what's called a synergistic view of salvation, where you know it's it's this uh, man and God working in tandem that brings about salvation, uh, versus a monergistic view that says God is the person who brings about salvation and works it in the heart of man, and so. Uh, if you back up, so Packer mentions verse 30, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. If you back up to verse 29, you add into all of this stuff in those whom he predestined, he also called. So you add into that for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Mm. So in in that verse, the, the way that I read that is Paul is telling the Romans, the Roman church, that... If you are predestined, God has foreknown you, not in anything that you've done, not because of anything that you're going to do, not because of any act that you've made. He didn't look through the channels of time. Uh, He actually foreknew you. If you pair that with Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world. He knew you before the foundations of the world, and he is the one who predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, you, you could almost say he is the one who predestined you unto salvation which is which is what those two those of us who hold to a little bit more uh a a calvinistic view of salvation are going to say that that you know that is all the work of god Mm -hmm. um those who hold to a more uh our traditional armenian view uh are going to say no it's a it's a synergistic work and it's it's part of the goodness of man and and i'll i'll say i will say this um a lot of times Armenians get accused of being what's called Pelagian, which is a heresy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pelagius, uh, in the uh, patristic era, the first few centuries of the church, Pelagius is a guy who said that man is inherently good and man has the ability to save himself. You, with, you know, he, he included, you know, with the work of God, but, but Armenians just kind of, Stepped right up to the line, looked at the line, and was like, no, nah, I'm not going to go over the line. Mm-hmm. And so Arminius' view is not Pelagian in, in as much as he just, Arminius gives a little bit of credit to man to say, it's man's responsibility to do this. And this is where we end up with the argument of God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. Um, this is another area where we end up with that. But Packer says this well when he says the assertion that perseverance in faith and obedience despite everything is true, but the reason that we persevere, the reason for this perseverance is that Jesus Christ through the Spirit persists in persevering them. So it's this ongoing work of the Spirit in that person's life that pushes them in this this persevering uh, attitude, life whatever you want to call it, you know, if you want to be hip and cool, you call it doing life and perseverance, I, I guess. I don't know. Never um, heard anyone say that. <laughs> never heard anybody say that. It's funny. It's like 
so a lot of the times, like your community of 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 believers that you're tight with, um, that was a hip way to put that. Yeah, um, it was <laughs> a lot of times, you know, they are your people that you go to when things get hard, when life gets difficult. But sometimes when you're going through life, or you're going through difficult things in your life, it's almost like your community backs away. Yeah. It's like, you know, let's let them figure it out on their own. Like, it's not a universal thing, and maybe it's kind of dependent on the situation or maybe just how tight your community is. But, um, like, when you're going through something, sometimes Jesus is all you've got. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, um, you know, just kind of to uh, add to your point here about the, how it's not the believer's ability to persevere, but Jesus giving them that power. Scripture, like, points back to that. Packer says that, yeah, Packer points out that in John, Jesus, the good shepherd, is under a promise to his father and also to his sheep mm-hmm. that he will keep them and that they will never perish. Yeah. So, and what's what's funny is if you look at John chapter 6, you get, you get down to, like, 6 verse 44, where it's talking about... Um, Jesus being being the good shepherd, it actually says that all that the Father have get, has given to me will come, and so that's that's this idea of perseverance right there. It's it's there's not going to be to to pull an analogy from the Gospels. There's not going to be a one lost sheep, you know. Mm. There's not going to be ninety nine and one. There's there's going to be a hundred. Because Jesus went to get that one, and then that's the point of that parable, is Jesus goes to get that one so that he can have the hundred, so that he can say, all that the Father has given me will come, will, you know, will respond and will persevere to the end. Right. So, so that, I like that Packer brings that out because it just reiterates that point. Does that, does that follow? Yeah. Do, make sense? Do, yeah. do I make sense? Yeah, that makes, that makes good sense. <laughs> I'm one and a half beers in, so you never know. Dude, I'm right there with you. I, I um, just, just so our listeners are aware, I went ahead and got a Classic City Lager. I don't think the two <laughs> taste the same, though, so. Okay. Um, I a, thought they I thought they were similar. Patrick says no, that I'm wrong, and that I'm okay. not persevering in my in my. Yeah, I verge <laughs> back to what we're talking about here with perseverance. We're going to persevere through this. Yes, we are. Rick. So, um... <laughs> Scripture says that God will complete the good work that he began. Yes. Um, Philippians 1. Yeah. It's not anything that the believer does. It's not, you know, it's not anything that Rick or Patrick does that completes the good work. When God begins a good work, he will see it to, he will see it through to completion. Yes. It's literally nothing that we do outside of obedience to Jesus will prevent us, will prevent the good work from being completed. Yes. Which is, I mean, so you go back to our discussion on good works. Uh, You know, good works are not anything for your glory. Good works are to point back to God and his work in you. And so somebody who has the right mindset or the right worldview on their works is going to say, you know, and, and, and I used to work with a, a music minister, and I, I really loved it when he would say this. You know, somebody would compliment him on, you know, a good job or a good service or, 
you know, there, there's just, you, you have those times where everything just kind of seems to work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, you know. Right. Um, but when it does work, people notice, and, and people will compliment that. And, don't and kid one yourself. Of he, when it don't work, people notice too. <laughs> that's right. That's true. And and then you get emails on Monday. Yeah. Um, but, but he, you know, he would get a comment or a compliment, and he would always respond when somebody would compliment him. He would say, uh, you know, well, that that's glory to God because He's the one who did the work. Mm-hmm. He's the one who made that that flow right. He's the one who the Spirit worked in that in that time of worship in that time set aside for corporate worship or whatever. Uh, and and He was always very very good about doing that. And and I wonder if Christians had a little a little bit better mindset about our works and about the deeds that we do. We would see that the perseverance that we have is not of ourselves, but it is of Jesus and his work on our behalf. Yeah. I think I think maybe part of the problem is there's such this idea of like you've got to do things you've got to do 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 or you're not worthy of love, you're not worthy of respect. Not just in, not not just like I'm not talking about between you and God, I'm talking about like you and your boss or you and your yeah. wife or you and your kids yeah. like there's such this like pressure to perform it's the American way. Yeah. You know, it really that, is. That's the American ideal is is you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you do it and you do this and you do that. And if you want to get ahead, you put in the work. And, and that again, we're not downplaying that concept because hard work and, and good work are good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the Bible also teaches us to do all things as unto the Lord. Right. That. He doesn't say be lazy. He says do all things as unto the Lord. Are you going to be lazy before the Lord? No. You're going to work hard. You're going to be diligent. So you should be diligent in all of the things that you do. But it's also recognizing that your hard work is not for you. Exactly. Your hard hard work is not to put yourself up on a pedestal. Your hard work is to give you an opportunity to show God or to show off about who God is. Exactly. You have to know where your identity is. Your identity is not in yourself. Your identity is in Christ. Mm-hmm. And if your identity is not in Christ, then you have a misplaced identity, which we're going to talk about later when we talk about the unpardonable sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's the whole concept of he who began a good work in you will complete it. He's going to complete that good work. You may be doing the actions, but he's completing the work. And the purpose of completing that work is for his glory. Right. You know, and, and that's why uh, Romans 14 says, you know, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to God in both life and death. Mm-hmm. And so we need to to position our lives and position our attitude in lives to a posture that says, I'm going to do everything I can to point glory back to God as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, you know, we're talking about perseverance. I was in a group with uh, with a guy who said that. Um, the difficult things that you're going through, the hard things that you're not sure what's what's going on or how you're going to get through them. One, God is faithful and he will always, I mean, he'll always pr- show you a way. But two, the you're talking about God's glory. The reason you're going through those, th- anything you go through is one, for your good, mm-hmm. but also two, for God's glory, and that is even more, like, that's the most important of the two. So, yes. 
you know, it might it might be hard to say, it might be hard to hear, but like if you're going through a really challenging time in your life, it's for your good. Yes. And also look for an opportunity to give God glory for whatever it is yes. you're going through. And know that he's gonna he is going to persevere and because he's promised to, he's promised to persevere and give you the strength to get through it. Yes. And that might look different based on whatever situation that you're going through. Exactly. And so, you know, what what all this kind of boils down to when we talk about perseverance is we're we're really talking about an aspect of salvation. So to get back to kind of back to our original question, we've kind of been going on works here for a little bit. Let's get back to our original question. What about salvation? Can someone lose their salvation? Can they can they get to a point where they did profess faith in Christ and they were genuine and they were a Christian and then now they're not a Christian? They they went from going to heaven to now they're going to hell. Is that is that possible? That's the question that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm when we talk about the perseverance of the saints. So yeah. one one group um, in this group would fall some Methodists. There's not, not all Methodists subscribe to this, but some Methodist groups do. A lot of your uh, Pentecostal holiness uh, sects of, of Protestantism, they, they would hold to this idea that you can lose your salvation. It is possible for you to do something that causes your covenant relationship to be broken with God. Um, and, and me personally, I just, I have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, because what that does is that makes God a covenant oath breaker. You know, right. um, there, there's just, there's too many scriptures to point to that, that say, you know, God does not break his promises. And if we believe that salvation is a covenant oath promise, then there's nothing that can break that no matter what we do. Right. I think, you know, I think, you know, when we talked about how responding, responding to the call to salvation is not even, it's a free will action, but not a free will like decision. Yes. Like if that makes, like if that makes sense and it doesn't probably, but you know, if God calls you to repentance, even if it's for a short period of time, I believe that repentance, like that initial repentance is, it still counts. Yes. It's not like a, it's not like a 30 day free trial Yeah, on Jesus, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and that gets back to, so that goes to something that, that, uh, Matthew actually addresses in his gospels. Um, Matthew chapter seven, you know, it actually says, and, and here Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, where he says, many who say to me, Jesus, you know, who say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, will not be acknowledged. So mm-hmm. just because you've said the prayer, mm-hmm. just because you've recited something, just because, and, and you know, I, I think there's a book called, I think, I, I think J.D. Greer wrote it, I'm not 100% certain, but it's called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. You know, and it's it's this idea that, that we've put so much focus on the actual act of saying a prayer like that prayer is the magic token that makes everything happen. It's not about the prayer. It's not about the reciting specific words or, or anything magical. There's no magical formula. It is all about a radical heart change from the depths of your soul that leads you 
leads you to a place of repentance and faith in Christ. Mm. And, and so, you know, <clears throat> I think about, cause we've heard it over the last six months, you know, these people who were, who, who were believed to be, or, or were put up as these Christian role model type people. Um, one of the guys I'm thinking of is, uh, Derek Webb. Um, there's an, there's another guy. Uh, I know that the two, the two radio guys or the YouTube guys, I can't remember their name right now. Link is one of their names. Rhett and Link. Rhett and Link, yeah. Yeah. So they, they went through this whole like spiritual deconstruction thing. Mm-hmm. And and I and I read their story and I'm like, okay, I hear that and I and I <clears throat> I want to believe that you were sincere, but a part of me says, you know, no, when when you made this commitment and I mean they worked for an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. I've done stuff with Campus Crusade mm-hmm. for Christ. You know, they have a pretty Same. Yeah, they have a pretty significant vetting process for the people who go on staff mm-hmm. at that place. So, you know, what we're what I'm pointing to here is that anyone can fool anyone into making them think that they have made a decision or they have committed their life to something. When it, when in reality they may not be doing it for that reason. Right. You know, I don't know Rhett or Link and I don't know their heart, so I'm not going to make a decision on that, but I'm just going to kind of use them as an example right here to say, you know, the Pharisees in this case would would have been the spiritual elites of that day. And Jesus is looking that looking to them and saying, People who call me Lord, you're probably not gonna see the kingdom of God. Mm. You know? And he's looking at the spiritual elites when he does that. So just yeah. because somebody is what we would term culturally a spiritual elite does not mean that person has a redemptive knowledge of the person and work of Jesus Christ in their life. I mean, yeah, I mean, Jesus, was it Je- I guess it was Jesus. Yeah, Jesus said, sorry, I get all the, like, I have a hard time keeping things straight, but Jesus said it's it's more difficult for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is mm-hmm. for, uh, I, got, I think it was for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, But, yeah. you know, that just goes to show you that even if your heart, even if you believe your heart's in the right place, it's a it's a it's a weird place to be in, where you're where yeah. you're where, Ultimately, especially if especially if you've done things for the kingdom in the past. Like I think about the yeah. uh, the lead singer or the guitar player, or whatever for Hawk Nelson. Hawk just, Nelson, that's the other guy. That, that just about. that just came out and said he no longer believes in God, but he's open to believing again in the future. So, where exactly does that guy stand? Yeah, it's. I mean, if if he says. And, and, and I, I mean, all I can do is take him at his word. I don't know his heart, mm-hmm. but if he says, I don't believe in God, then I have to say that, that he doesn't believe in God, mm-hmm. you know? And if he doesn't believe in God now, then I can say that he never truly legitimately and redemptively believed in God before. So, so would you say that the once saved, always saved line used in churches is not valid? No, I think it is valid, but I think we have a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means. And so so where I would say, you know, once a person is saved, they are always saved. There's no way that a truly regenerate person can be plucked from the hands of, uh, you know, the the redemptive what, grace what, of Jesus. Once someone is in the grasp of Jesus, they can't be, they can't be taken <clears throat> exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. Now, 
what I will say is that, you know, and if you think about, like, if you grab something, there's always some, some stuff, like, right on the outside, on the peripheral that's very close that you would go, oh, maybe, you know, that's questionable. That might be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think that's why it's hard for us as Christians to pronounce that person is saved, that person is not. That person is saved, that person is not. And and that's why I think we need to quit doing stuff like yeah. that. It's it's you also, know, I mean, believer, it's not our job to ex- to yeah. determine who's saved and who's not. That's who's, real, that's exactly. Real. And like, here's here's something crazy to think about. I heard a uh, our old pastor said this one time. He said, "I cannot guarantee that my wife is saved." You can't. And and the hardest part about this, I remember having a discussion with my dad years ago when when my niece was born we were talking about salvation and he said you mean to tell me that i can't do anything to save to save her and i said that's exactly right you can't do anything to save her it is all 100 percent the work of god now you have a responsibility to pray for her to teach her to love her to raise her you know to do all of these things, you have a responsibility as a Christian grandparent at this time mm-hmm. to do this, to be that responsible grandparent, but it is not your job, nor is it your responsibility to save her. That is God's and God's alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not her. It's not the grandparent's responsibility. It's also not the kid's responsibility or the individual's yeah. responsibility. Like there's nothing that can be done aside yeah. from Jesus revealing himself and needing in the person needing him yes yes so and and so when when i say once saved always saved yes i have no problem with that but i think we need to quit par uh, or uh what's the word i'm looking for paralleling that or putting it together with this idea that if you say this prayer you're saved uh yeah okay you know, that's what you're saying. yeah you know we need to we need to separate these two back out because just because you said a prayer doesn't mean you're saved yeah, you know, just saying a prayer gets you added to a role somewhere in a church. Exactly. To say like, that, oh, look at our numbers. You, yeah, that puts you that puts you on the baptismal line and lets them add one more person to their numbers, uh, which is why the Southern Baptist Convention has 15 million members, and on any given Sunday there are less than five million in attendance. You know, where are these magical 10 million people that are on Southern Baptist Church rolls? Uh, going, and, going to non-denom churches, <laughs> yeah, probably true, probably true. Um, but but and that's why I say we have a fundamental misunderstanding because we think when we get on when we get somebody to recite the prayer, walk the aisle, do all of fill the out deeds, the card. fill out the card, they are saved, and therefore they are once saved, always saved. No, that is not what Scripture teaches at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a person who is saved is somebody who has radical life change, who has evidence of that radical life change, and they're showing the fruits of the Spirit. They're showing the works. Uh, all these things that we've talked about really the last four or five weeks are evidencing that salvation in their life, and those are the people who will be preserved, you know. Spurgeon said it best when he was talking about the elect. He said, I wish that the elect had yellow stripes on their back so I could walk around and pull people's shirts up and find out if they're, you know, if they're elect or not and share the gospel with them. Mm-hmm. But God didn't make it that easy. So I'm going to share the gospel with everyone and have confidence that Jesus will save those who are his. Right. You know, he will persevere those who are his, just like he claims to in John chapter six, just like he claims to in John chapter 10 and in John chapter 17. Exactly. So, um, but 
so so I I hope I, I hope that answers that question. You know, because that that is probably one of the toughest questions to deal with from a from a Christian theological perspective. Because you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, "Well, can a person lose their salvation?" And, and then my follow up question is, "Well, what does it take to lose your salvation?" You know, if you're going to argue that somebody can lose their salvation, where's your biblical precedent that says, "Here's the standards that God has set." Uh, for you to lose your salvation, because if you're going by standards in Scripture, you have to be perfect. So if that is the case, ain't nobody saved, right? <laughs> yeah, not even pastors. Yeah. Newsflash. I mean, for, forget pastors. Just look in the New Testament. The yeah. disciples weren't saved. The disciples, apostles, yeah. apostles. Paul. So, yeah. So, so I mean, apart from the work of Jesus Christ, there is no way. For any human who has ever lived or ever will live, or is currently living, for that matter, to yeah. to be saved apart from the work of Jesus Christ, exactly. Yeah, and and that and what that does is it sets up this this idea that that number one, uh, Christians are going to backslide. You know, Christians are not perfect. But that doesn't mean that just because you make a mistake that you're not saved. Right. You know, I've seen people fall into incredible amounts of sin and then be redeemed on the other side. of, And then they have a story to tell about the redemption of God in their life, the work of God in their life. Yeah. I think I think the part part of the problem is that when we become believers, we think that it's going to be like this climb up a mountain. And when you get to the mm-hmm. when you get to the peak, that is when you step into glory. And it's much less. It's, it's not a like a climb up a mountain where you're going up the whole way, but it's more a like a trek through a mountain valley. Like a yeah. like you're going up and down, and there's going to be times where things just can, seem kind of stagnant, and you hit like a flat level, and then things get lower, and you, you hit the bottom, and you come back up. So I think that's part of the reason why there's like this whole like, oh, if someone... If someone's you know struggling with a sin, then they're maybe not really saved. It's like I think we need to stop judging people based on yes. whatever sin that they're struggling with. Well, if someone is struggling with a sin, it's your job as a Christian to go confront them. Yeah, you know we talked about church discipline a few weeks ago. Go and confront that person. Hey, man, I believe that you're living in sin based off of Scripture A, Scripture B, and Scripture C. And and if they repent, great, you have gained your brother. Mm-hmm. You know, that the whole point of all of this is restoration. That You know, just because somebody's living in sin, that may be what God is using you for to bring that person back. Right. You know, do you want to be obedient to God in that, or is God going to have to use somebody else? Right. You know? Um. So so we, we talk about, you know, Christians are obviously not perfect, but what do we know? What is a staple of a person who is regenerate? in their life, in their lifestyle. What how do we how do we acknowledge that in their life? You're asking you're asking for a response here. <laughs> um so that might be. So I mean Packer just says that when a regenerate believer acts in character, mm-hmm. so they're a believer, um they're acting in character. They manifest a humble, grateful desire to please the God who saved them. And 
they acknowledge that he has pledged to keep them safe forever. Yes. So, you know, regardless of if you are living, if you're struggling with a sin, uh, can't shake it, whatever, um, or not, there's like, and I I don't want to say, I don't want to say this like in a, gosh, this is going to sound really bad, like super cocky, proud, look at me individuals. Mm Mm-hmm. I would have a hard time believing that you're truly a believer. Yeah, because you think you're doing everything. Yeah, and and, and God might be using you, and you might really be a believer who's struggling with the sin of pride. I mm-hmm. guess that's possible. Yeah, but it's it's hard for me to because because as a regenerate believer, there needs to be a sense there needs to be an understanding and an act of humility. Yes. In every aspect of your life. It should be God gave me uh, an opportunity to um, to witness or God gives gives me an opportunity to work for him or God gives me an opportunity to, to love my wife and love my kids. Mm-hmm. And he's blessed me with so many things instead of, uh, look what I got, look what I did, look what I've earned, look at my mm-hmm. wife, look at my wife, look at my kids and how great they are. I think the difference between, like, a true regenerate, a true, like, blood-bought believer, and almost like, I mean, wolf in sheep's clothing, is that too harsh? No, no, <laughs> but, but But I think a true difference between the two is the, the, the humble one, or the other one, one is humble and one is not. Yes. Yeah, and, and and I think in churches we've all been around like the not humble guy, and you're, yes. and you're like, do you know Jesus? Yes. Have you ever read his books? Like, yes. like I I feel like I feel like we've all been there where it's where we're talking to this to the guy who's got it all figured out and thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. And then and then you you leave that conversation and tra- talk to somebody who's truly humble and truly loves Jesus and truly loves people and it's so refreshing. Yes. So to answer your question, I would say humility. Yes. Is and, the and is, is the main difference between yes. I would agree with that, and I think that's a good spot to leave. Uh, perseverance. Perseverance. I was like, what were we talking about? <laughs> Perseverance. So, let's talk about the unpardonable sin. So, we've talked about perseverance. We've talked about it is God's work in the person that presents itself uh, scripturally. We would argue that it presents itself through humility, uh, through the person recognizing God's work in their life. And that leads to the question of how do we know, what do we know separates the someone who is regenerate versus someone who is not regenerate that i mean that that seems like the the big outline question and and this is this is a question and and i i said that if somebody tells me that they believe that you can lose your salvation i always say you know well, what is the standard where's the standard for the unpardonable you know the sin that causes you to lose your salvation right and and I would you know the best answer that I've gotten from somebody is you know they've pointed back to this this gospel story where Jesus talks about the unpardonable sin, 
and it's you know we all know it's the person who blasphemes the holy spirit and and so there the argument for those who would say you can lose your salvation would be for somebody like the like the guy from hawk nelson like Derek webb um Rhett and link those two guys those guys who have said you know I don't believe this anymore. They would say that is evidence of the unpardonable sin. They they have okay. they have rejected their faith and they have cast it aside. And mm-hmm. so so that act is what is the sin that becomes unpardonable. You you can't God can't pardon the rejection of his son. Okay, so here's the question. Is that a as long as they live unpardonable sin because here's my here's my question if we're saying that the blood of jesus can cover can cover all Mm -hmm. and these guys the written link the guy from hawk nelson there's there's been a lot the last few years which is a little disturbing but if these guys have cast their faith aside and said you know right now i believe you know i'm an agnostic or i'm an atheist or or i'm pursuing other some other faith of some kind and later in life they come back to Jesus Mm -hmm. I I mean I would argue that is evidence for the perseverance of the saints okay that's what I would argue I would argue that person never actually lost their faith and and this is where I mean this is where you have some type of speculation um on on a part and you I mean this is where you really I mean at some point you do have to make a judgment call do you believe this or do you believe that? Doesn't mean your judgment call is right, but you still have to make a judgment call. So let's just say in a year, Rhett and Link say, you know what, we've gone we went through this whole thing of deconstruction and we studied it and and we felt like, you know, we needed to understand this and now we've come to a point where we say, No, that was wrong and we were we were originally right and, and they come back and they're and they're Christian examples for the rest of their lives, whatever it is. If that is the case, I would say that period was a time that God was using in their life. They may have called it deconstruction. They may have called it losing their faith. They may have called it all of these things, but it was a time that God used in their life to teach them certain things that brought them to the faith back, you know, back to the faith that they professed before. And they said, no, we're going to continue in this faith because we believe this to be the truest faith that there is. Okay. If that's the case, I would argue that more for a case of uh, perseverance of the saints than I would they committed the unpardonable sin and then like repented of the unpardonable sin. Um, because if it if a sin is truly unpardonable, that means it doesn't matter what you do; it is not pardonable. You know, there's nothing you can do to make that sin unpardonable, and so that's where I would argue that the unpardonable sin is a legitimate rejection of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, so I'm just thinking you hear stories of like atheists and agnostics, not, not people who were believers at any point, but they Mm -hmm. believers in Jesus, but they don't believe in God or they don't believe in the work of Jesus Mm -hmm. or they come from different faiths or whatever. So would you say their conversion story is a person that's not a perseverance of the saints thing because they're not believers. No, so, if they're if they're not believers, so if, that's just a conversion story. I was an atheist, now I'm not. Okay, you but what if, if if they're at, what if they're actively rejecting 
Jesus. If as they're atheists. If they're as actively, an atheist. Well, so we're all actively rejecting Jesus before we before we're converted. Okay. And so if you if you die in an unrepentant state, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying is the rejection of Jesus. Dying in an unrepentant state. Um if you die in an unrepentant state, then you are you have blasphemed the person you have rejected the person and work of Christ. Okay. And, and that's what I mean, that's really all that blasphemy is. You know, we we've we've kind of gotten this this societal and cultural idea that blaspheming somebody is like you know, putting them on Twitter and being like, this person is so dumb and I can't believe they would say these stupid things about this. That like, that's what we've equated to blasphemy. But blasphemy is not that. Blasphemy is an outright rejection of everything that that person stands for. Okay. And so in your heart of hearts, if you reject Christ, you have blasphemed Christ and the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is who is the mediator, the helper, you know that however you want to word that um and so a rejection of him is that blasphemy but it, it and and really if we believe that we're all born into sin that means we're all born in a state of rejection of the person of Christ okay. and we need to come to that point of conversion to say i i i had rejected him but now i have repented and i have turned to him so until the until the point of conversion all of humanity is committing the unpardonable sin basically yes okay like everybody watering it down really simply yes and that's a that's a really good way to word it is to say you're living in the unpardonable sin before christ after christ it's just not you just don't recognize it as such exactly exactly okay because i mean really and truly all sin any sin is Mm-hmm. Is the is the way you know for sin is the or for the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if you lie to your mom. It doesn't matter if you, you know, I don't, I killed an insect. Whatever it is, take think of as minuscule sin as you can think of. You know, your wife asks you, "Does do these jeans make my butt look fat?" And you say yes, or you say no when in fact it does. You know, you lied to your wife. Okay, well. That's a sin because you lied. Thou shalt not lie. Well, and also husbands, you're not loving your wife there. So, (laughs) and also, you know, you also know how to live a little bit longer because sometimes a life will give you a few more years under your life. But anyway, I digress. When it doesn't matter what sin we commit, that sin justifies us going to hell. Mm-hmm. But all of that sin, whatever that sin is, is pent up and bound up in a rejection of the person and work of Christ. All okay. sin is pent up and bound up in a rejection of the person and work of Christ. And that is the nature that we're born with. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's the nature that we're born with. And so once we have, once God has done his conversion work, his regenerative work in our lives, that's the point where we say, okay, this person is... is you know, and, and remember, we're talking about this from a worldly perspective. We can only look and say this person has com- has verbally or in their life committed their per- their work, you know, their life to Christ. Are they continuing in the work of, of what a Christian should be doing scripturally, or are they going back to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Are they, you know, what are they doing here? What's the, and that's where we get the judgment call 
for for saying, eh, you know, I don't know that that person was truly regenerate, or I do know that that person was truly regenerate. And somebody who is not regenerate, they're they're going to qualify under the unpardonable sin. Somebody who is regenerate, they're going to fall under grace and mercy because of the person and work of Jesus. Okay. Does that does that kind of like, yeah. It's hard to think about the unpardonable sin because the unpardonable sin, yes, it is unpardonable. There's nothing you can do to fix it after death. It is. Well, it is. <laughs> once you're, the, the unpardonable sin is the act of rejecting Jesus. Yes, like, act, is actively rejecting Jesus. Yes. So, like when in our sin nature, it may not be an active rejection of Jesus until we learn like how to lie for gain or whatever. Yes. But you know that's just an example. Um, but lost my train of thought, (laughs) come back. It's, it's hard to think about this because, you know, you don't, you don't want to think of somebody as like beyond the, and I, and I think that's where the, the rub is. I think on, when we talk about the unpardonable sin, because you, it sounds like they're beyond the reach of Jesus when you say that. Yeah. And no one is, even if they've committed the unpardonable sin, that doesn't mean Jesus can't radically transform them. Yes. It's just, if Jesus steps in and radically transforms them, then that time is not the unpardon, is not necessarily labeled as an unpardonable sin. Let me, all right, so Uh, let me, uh, (laughs) let let me try to word it this way. Um, see, See if we can put some clarity here. So, before Christ, when you're in what's called an unregenerate or an impenitent or unrepentant state in your life, okay, that sin alone is what condemns you to hell, okay? Now, you have true repentance in your life, you have true conversion, you have true regeneration in your life, by God's standards, whatever, you know, it's, it's his standard to put out there. Once you have that standard, there is no sin that will cause you to lose your regenerative state. And and that's where we're going to go back to the perseverance of the saints. Okay. So, and and I think Packer, Packer in in his title of this hits it, hits it right on the head. Only impenitence cannot be forgiven. So if you are repentant and you kill somebody that can be forgiven because, because you are in a repentant state before God, okay. but in an in, in an unrepentant state, it's, it doesn't matter that you killed somebody. You're in an unrepentant state. That is what condemns you before God. So okay, so you repent, and then you get woke or whatever, and <laughs> decide that you're you're turning your back on Jesus. You're agnostic atheist. During this time, you kill somebody. Okay. I mean, you're already unforgiven. Or you're already not forgiven. Okay, never mind. Because <laughs> because I was I was going to go like if after you kill somebody, you repent, you like you come back to faith in Jesus, then your sin is forgiven anyway. So yes. that doesn't. Yes. That's a perseverance of the saints thing. Exactly. And, and that's I think I think. Again, that's why it's so difficult because we think unpardonable sin is impossible to be. Yeah. 
pardons no the, matter what. Yeah, but the, the really and truly the unpardonable sin is rejection of Christ. That's what the unpardonable sin is, is rejection mm-hmm. of Christ. And if you reject Christ, you're going to hell, period. It doesn't matter how many good works you did. It doesn't matter, you know, how, how much you helped the earth. That doesn't matter. Your works of righteousness, whatever you want to call righteousness, are filthy rags. Um, but when you're in Christ, then you're, you're covered. So there is nothing that is unpardonable at that point. So, but, you know, we've talked about, like, this idea of remorse and, like, legitimate, um, legitimate remorse for, for when we, when we fail to, uh, live holy lives, when we sin. Um, but Packer says that the non-existence of remorse makes repentance impossible. Yes. And the non-existence of repentance makes forgiveness impossible. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that goes right hand in hand with what you were just saying. That it's kind of the flip side of that. If you're in Jesus, nothing is unimpardonable. If you sin and you don't feel remorse, then repentance is not possible. Yeah, you're not you're not in Christ at that point because you're not you don't feel a conviction of sin at that point. And, and I've talked to, you know, I've talked a little bit about that in my, in my own personal life. You know, I com I committed my life to Christ at a younger age, but I don't know that I understood every aspect of it. But Mm -hmm. the one thing that I do know is that when I would do something wrong, something that I knew was wrong, like I felt remorse or I felt conviction over that. I shouldn't do that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, through those the years after that, God worked in uh, in such a way in my life that He moved me from a point of just experiencing conviction to having general, you know, or, or legitimate remorse, and then that pushing me to the point of no, I need to make this commitment. This is something that I biblically need to do, and right. so so that's where and and that's where I would argue that somebody does or does not have Christ. And, and, and when I talk to people, I say, Hey, you know, do you feel remorseful over this? Do you feel sorry that this happened? Or do you feel sorry that you got caught? You know, because I think that the type of remorse that we have is also important. You know, you can, I've talked with people before and, and you have this conversation where they're like, yeah, uh, I think you're right. But you know, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do anything about it. You know, they don't have any concept of, I want to change. Right. Because you can recognize that what you're doing is wrong without wanting to change anything. Exactly. Exactly. You know, recognition of wrong does not make what you're, what you're saying right. Right. You know, you're just acknowledging that you're wrong. You can continue to be wrong, uh, you know, but, but at some point you either have to change your wrong into right and and the unpardonable sin is never wanting to change that wrong into right. right. Uh, it's it is that is the active rejection of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Gotcha. And so okay, okay. So what would you say? Kind of kind of to wrap this up because we've gone a little long tonight, but I, yeah. it's been good discussion. But um, to kind of wrap this up, so what would you say to a believer who says, "Man, Rick, I think." I think I'm committing the unpardonable sin. Um, you know, first I would ask him, what do you think the unpardonable sin is? Because, 
you know, people can have a whole lot of ideas about what they think it is. Oh, you know, um, I have killed somebody. I have broken a tent, one of the Ten Commandments. I, you know, whatever rule they want to make up, I ate meat sacrificed to idols. You know, pick a rule, they broke it. They think that's unpardonable, you know, and then I would say, okay, where's your scripture backing to say that that sin is not pardonable? Mm-hmm. And and at that point, they're going to go, well, I don't have one. I would say, okay, well, then you're not talking about the unpardonable sin because the right. only unpardonable sin is the active rejection of Jesus Christ. Have right. you done that in your life? Well, no. Okay, then yeah. you're not, you're not under the unpardonable sin, but I feel like I'm a bad person. Well, that's actually a good thing because that's conviction. Yeah. You know, you feel like yeah. you're doing something wrong. Yeah. I mean, Packer goes so far to say is a believer who is questioning if they've committed the unpardonable sin is showing by their anxiety that they have not committed the unpardonable yeah. sin. Yeah, and that's part because, of... Because, because because even even if you think the sin that you've committed is the unpardonable sin and you're stressing about it, that shows a recognition that you're not revering the Holy Spirit or Jesus or yeah. God the way that they should be. Yeah, which is not blaspheming. At that point, you know, right. if if the spirit is working in your life and saying, hey, you're not living your life right. And and you say, you know what? Spirit, you're right. I'm not living my life right. That leads you to repentance. That's the kindness mm-hmm. of God that leads you to repentance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're if you're confronted, if you're if your soul is confronted and says, hey, you're living this way. And you say, yeah, and I'm going to continue to live that way. That is the act of rejection. That is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit that says, yeah, I'm going to continue to live in in my hardness of heart. I'm going to continue to live in my rejection because Mm -hmm. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus' work. I don't need the Holy Spirit in my life. That is what sends somebody to hell. That's the act of rejection. So the, the anxiety or the fear that you might be, it honestly is a good sign that shows conviction in your life that shows Mm -hmm. that the spirit is working in your life and you need to respond to that conviction and say, you know what? This is not, this is not from, from God. This, this feeling, this anxiety is not from God. I'm going to repent of that anxiety. I'm going to trust in the spirits work in my life and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to go on to the next thing. And, and that, that, that should actually be something that is comforting to the Christian. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's a good. I think that's a good place to stop for. I say. I feel like. I feel like that's that's that kind of summed it up right there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as, as a good Southern Baptist preach, preacher, I had to ask for an amen. So, oh well, <laughs> you finally got one out of me. Yes. So, yes, um, victory. So, Rick, if our listeners wants to get in touch with us, how would they go about doing that? So there are a few ways they can do that. They can find us on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. They can find us on Twitter at beers and Bible P one. You can search for us on Facebook by just searching beers and Bible podcast. And then you can email us directly at beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. And that is how you get in touch with us. Yeah. Feel free to reach out to us. Send us a message. Let us know what you think about the about the podcast, and uh, if you have any suggestions, beer or topics. Yes, we would be open to hearing any of those. And we are, um, we're into the final countdown now. Now that it's we've the got final the end of this countdown. Thank you. 
Thank you. I, I knew you were going to do that. You said so. Final Countdown. I had to do it. <laughs> I did it in my head, too, so it's okay. So we've got three more episodes in Concisiology, and then we will move on to something else. We've been teasing the something else for, like, six months, so um, we don't know what the something else is yet, but we will have something else. So We will. We'll get there. Yep. But until then, stay in your Bible, stay in good cold beer, and we will see you next week. See ya. You enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible. Please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.